the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into hour through hour three, it's a delight to do so as we usually do on Mondays with Brandon Weikert, uh, among other things. He is the author of Winning Space: How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked: China's Race to Control Life. He's also a senior editor at 1945.com, 1945.com, where he publishes prodigiously. Brandon, happy Monday! Thanks for closing the day out with us. <laughs> Happy Monday as well. Happy to do it. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thank you, sir. Doing yes, okay. Sir. I don't know if we're doing okay. By we, I mean a country. I was just... Oh, uh, God, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> there's uh, no doubt there. I was just looking over some of the recent reports out of China. They've infiltrated Nick, uh, Nick Burns' email account. Yeah. The the, um, the CIA director is um, is saying things that have them redoubling their efforts against us. Um, yep. How is it they ha- how is it they how is it they hack into the email account of Burns and how is it that the CIA director is saying things that is making them ramp up their their strategic uh, efforts against us? Well, do you want my my basic opinion? Yeah, we're we're led by idiots. That's why. Okay. It's nothing. It's nothing more. You know, de- it's nothing deeper than that. We we do not have the best and brightest in our government anymore. Um, and the scary thing about China is that um, they, too, will be the first to tell you, their people, if you get them in an an honest moment, they will tell you that their government is not staffed by their best and brightest. Except the difference is, I would say, if that's not their best and brightest, then that's scary, because that's considered the B team. Whereas our, our government is led by not the best and brightest, and it shows. And so, uh, you know, hacking uh, our leadership's emails uh, is par for the course with China. And the fact of the matter is, this is not the first time they've done it. It won't be the last time they do it. The really shocking thing is, is that they keep doing it and they don't get so much as a slap on the wrist for it. That's it. That's right. That's right. That that, kind of raises the question of... do we care? I mean, it just seems like these these should be big damn deals. I mean, can you imagine a story? I can in the in the 1980s if the Soviet Union had tapped into and had access to the emails of the ambassador. I just I just it it would it would be a major story. Seems to me it would, it would be, be a major story, and we would retaliate. Not that we directly. would have emails, but they're whatever they're you know, right, right, communications right, but, but devices. We, yeah, communication. Well, we know. I mean, we, there is an example. The Soviets were tapping those undersea cables. Yeah. Um, there's a great. I think it's called No Man's Bluff. It was a great book that oh, came out yeah. in the '90s yeah, yeah, yeah. about about the secret submarine war in the '80s, right. where they we found out they were tapping the undersea cables, so we retaliated in kind. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing of the kind going on in cyber. And the crazy thing is, uh, despite all of the strides that China has made technologically, and they have made some whoppers, uh, the the thing is we still technically have a great advantage in the cyberspace domain over China. It's just we don't ever use it. Yeah. We don't ever use it. And that's the thing that kills me. 
Is it a good idea? I know there's debate back and forth on this. I'm inclined to think probably not, but you tell me and straighten me out. Is it a good idea to put the CIA director on the cabinet, on the presidential cabinet? Um, I would be fine with it as long as we got rid of the DNI, okay. Director of okay. National yeah. Intelligence. Yeah. Remember, after nine eleven, remember before nine eleven, DCI, Director of Central Intelligence, right. was not just C. I mean, he was the CIA, but director, he he was but everything. He, was, he he had oversight he everything. over everything. Right, 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 right. And then after nine eleven, they decided, you know, because of the misintelligence. I don't think it was misintelligence. I think it was purposeful neglect, and yep. we can get into that later. Yep. Um, but basically, the CIA was trying to protect, I think, foreign operations that were directed out al-Qaeda, and they were also trying to protect Saudi Arabia from the wrath of the American people, which is why they weren't sharing intelligence in the run-up to 9-11 with the FBI, who they thought institutionally were not able to adequately wage war against terrorism, the kind of warfare that was necessary, and so they chose not to share. And so what happened was 9-11 happened as a result of that lack of sharing, and the response from the bureaucracy, understandable, was, well, because of the intelligence failures at CIA, we need to basically create a new layer of bureaucracy that brings together all of the intelligence agencies into one central hub. And they created the director of national intelligence. But now you have all these redundancies right. and you have everybody stepping on everybody else's toes and you have a lot of, you know, bad feelings and a lot. You still have the problem of not sharing intel. Um, it hasn't really ameliorated the situation. No. So, you know, if the DCI was going to be the only show in town, I wouldn't mind it being elevated to a cabinet level position. But at the same time, that's not what's going to happen. And at the same time, Giving that kind of power to DCI is very scary, given all of the intel abuses that have gone on in the last decade alone. I don't want to reward that organization until there's been real evidence of reform, and of course there hasn't been. So, One of the things that I, I you know, there is an element to this story that, that may be being missed, because, you know, yes, <clears throat> so much that went wrong that led to 9-11 attacks, but part of it was kind of the dismantling of so much of the human intelligence and boots on the ground kind of uh, espionage work uh, that had taken place some decades prior that had kind of washed out some of the CIA yep. under Stanisfield Turner, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And so the part that's missed here is when Burns says um, he wants to uh, he wants to re up. He wants to re up uh, the rebuilding of a spy network. I'm not necessarily opposed to that. I, I just don't know why we broadcast these things. Well, I don't know why we broadcast it, and, and, and you're right. And also, um, I don't think the CIA is really capable anymore of yeah. doing human, yeah. human intelligence the yeah. way that it used to in the yeah. Cold War. Right. I think that we've lo- that those muscles, if you will, have atrophied for so long yeah. that good luck trying to rebuild the networks that were lost during the Obama years. You need to remember, why is Nicholas Burns having to say this at all? What problem is he trying to address? He's addressing the fact that from 2010 to 2013, and the New York Times of all organizations did the expose on this, Barack Obama presided over the destruction of our deep intelligence networks on the ground in China. He let the Chinese hunt down our people who were giving us uh, information covertly, and he let them arrest them and likely kill, capture, torture, whatever, all of those intel networks, and we're deaf, dumb, and blind now in China from a human intelligence standpoint. Um, you know, we shouldn't be talking about this. I, I, I was reading this morning, I might have been the Wall Street Journal, it might have been Foreign Affairs, I don't remember, but there was an article this morning where they were talking about 
And Carafano at Heritage was, was referencing it. James is a friend of mine. And he was, he was saying, look, you know, the model of Chinese uh, espionage is dangerous in and of itself because they naturally create spy networks with their trade. Right. So they send trade forward, you know, under the auspices of just doing business and making money, right. something that every American can appreciate. But in fact, with that, that opportunity to do business comes Chinese espionage, comes the Chinese spy networks. And we have no ability to roll them up because we believe that these groups that are coming in are just part of the business deal when, in fact, they're undercover of the business deal coming to do espionage and who knows what else. Yeah, and it makes one wonder at what point we do become serious about this, because it seems like they have been broadcasting their intents as loudly as they possibly can be, whether we're talking about the spy balloons or whether we're talking about the base in Cuba, whether we're talking about this kind of hacking into Ambassador Burns' email. It just seems they're... I don't know, Brandon. I kind of got a sense. uh, I kind of was thinking about when the Ukraine war invasion first broke out, you were talking about the Russian strategy of kind of poking around, you know, with tanks and seeing where the vulnerability. Yeah, like a dentist kind of with the with the with the uh, with the pick there in the teeth trying to find the soft spots. It seems that they 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 have no uh, they have no qualms about it being known. They're trying to expose soft spots. And it seems we have no qualms that they keep exposing them. Well, and furthermore, let's not forget that which Michael Yan has been reporting on his Twitter page, and I've been sort of in contact with him currently in, I think, uh, Azerbaijan right now, or might have made it to Baghdad. But the point is, he's been tracking these illegal immigrant flows of mostly military-age males from China coming from China mainland across the ocean, landing in Latin America, and then walking up to the broken southwest border. His count is somewhere between 5,000 and uh, 5,500 um, uh, Chinese military-age males have illegally crossed into the United States wow. through the southwestern border. We have no idea where they are now. We have no idea what they're doing. All CB, all the uh, Customs and Border Patrol knows is that this many, anywhere from 5,000 to 5,500, have crossed in the last six months into the United States, and they are now living here, and we don't know what they're doing. Wow. And how much do you want to make a bet that this is a fifth column yeah, element sure. getting ready to sow God knows what kind of chaos yeah. in the event China decides to go into Taiwan? So these are all data points that indicate not only is China getting ready to, to, to rock and roll, if you will, against us, but it also indicates that we are completely outmatched. Well, to quote Richard Clark. Our hair should be on fire. Brandon, let it me take a yeah, nice Screaming put. in agony. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Let me take a quick break. Let me ask you a question or two about Russia and Ukraine. And then uh, let's do some domestic politics, too, which is always fun. We like getting in trouble on that. Brandon Weikert is my guest. Follow him on Twitter at WeTheBrandon. It's a really active and great website. Excuse me, Twitter account. X account? What do we call these things now? He doesn't tweet anymore. He Xs. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. He's a senior editor at 1945.com, 1945.com, among other things. Brandon, a question if I might, uh, one or two questions if I might on Russia and Ukraine. Uh, I think this was a retweet of yours from, I think, two of your friends, Arthur Herman and David Goldman, were on the cheap. There's a big story in the Wall Street Journal uh, where Mr. Goldman writes about the toxic mix of incompetence, wishful thinking, and political opportunism 
is past imagination. We sent Ukrainian soldiers to the slaughter for no conceivable reason. Um, and Arthur says, you know, you're either all in or you don't start. And That's right. how many times do we have to learn that lesson? That's right. I remember the old uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel Ralph Peters yeah. uh, in the wake of the disasters in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. His quote was something to the effect of, unless you're willing to pay the butcher's bill up front, you're going to pay it on the back end of any conflict with, with interest, with right. compound interest. Right, with compound. And so, yeah, I want to make something clear, if I can just toot my sure. own horn sure. here. There's a New York Times bestselling author. He's a fiction writer living in Slovakia. He and I have been corresponding on and off since April. He wrote to me about five minutes ago, quote, Since the situation in Ukraine is evolving exactly as you said it would more than a year and a half ago, I'm very concerned and would be interested in your opinion on the situation on the Polish border. I saw your tweets about it, which didn't make me happy, and I would like to know more. So I would just like to address that. Yeah, please. It looks like the Wagner Group, the Wagner Group, whatever, um, after having repositioned itself out of Ukraine by way of quasi-invasion of Russia. It was very bizarre a few weeks ago, if you remember the so-called coup. Yep, yep. Uh, they have now landed, under Progozin's leadership, they've now landed in uh, Belarus, and it looks like they are ramping up to attack the Sawaki Gap, uh, which is Polish territory. So it looks like Mr. Putin, who's already, as of the last 48 hours, made overt threats against Poland, saying he's going to make them pay for their support of Ukraine. He's going to remind them, as he said, that everything they have territorially is a result of Stalin at the end of the Second World War. Um, he's now, it looks like the Russians might be getting ready to hit Poland. Yeah. And now we're talking about a world war. And wh- why is he doing this? I have a I have a bald eagle in my back. Oh, do you really? Um, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, Is that a pet or a wild one? No, it's it's a wild one. But okay. we, we live in the swamp here in oh, Florida. Okay. So we get we get all kinds of wild animals. I had a gator the other day. Did you really, crossing. Brandon? Yeah, you need yeah. to be sending pictures of this stuff. I swear, <laughs> you really do. Well, I was more concerned about keeping my my seven and eight year old inside. I understand, but um, once they're inside and behind closed doors, <laughs> take a picture. But um, uh, we also get we get like uh, all kinds of wild animals back here. But but basically, um, it looks like the, the the Wagnerites on behalf of Putin are getting ready to launch an unconventional war, however limited, against Poland. And they're going to uh, I think I think they're going to escalate into a direct conflict with NATO. Because think about it, Seth. We have blown through all of our critical ammunition supplies. All of this money, all of this goodwill politically and diplomatically, we've blown it on Ukraine, which has not yielded the kind of results we were promised all this investment would yield. And now Russia's getting ready to, like a judo match. Remember, uh, Vladimir Putin's a judo master. Mm-hmm. What's the point of judo? You're, you're not throwing punches at each other in that kind you're of fighting or karate chopping. Right. You're, you're seeking the best right. advantageous position to flip right. the opponent. Right. So now they've gotten this tired. And now they're getting ready, I think, to flip us. And by the way, China, as it was reported today, has given uh, enough supplies and ammo to the Russians to supply a whole new army in Russia. So the Chinese are feeding this particular beast, which is why I think Russia is getting ready to escalate this thing. And they're going to hit Poland very, 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 very soon. Very odd how little the president is willing or speaking about it at all. I mean, early on, this was uh, a lot of strutting from President Biden about first how the sanctions would be crippling. They weren't. 
Uh, I mean, it was just so many expectations about how fast. And then this talk after the attempted coup of how it showed Putin to be so much the weaker. I never bought that. He defeated the coup, as far as I could tell, if it was a coup. You know, I actually think I'm I'm actually with my friend Rebecca Koffler. I don't think it was a real coup at all. Yeah, may not have been. I think it was. I think it was. I think it was a political maneuver designed to flush out the real opponent to Vladimir Putin in his midst, and then also to forced about changes to the defense leadership that Putin otherwise politically would not have been able to make without losing faith. Yeah. Now he's been able to weaken Shoigu, his defense minister, who hasn't performed well. He's now been able to, he's replacing the leader of the Ukraine war with a much more vicious guy who's the head of their airborne defense unit, who was the guy who crushed Bakhmut. Uh, and so he's sort of like the Ulysses S. Grant of this conflict and anybody who knows the u.s civil war will understand what i'm talking about um and so um i think that actually that coup was orchestrated by putin to basically flush out his enemies and to kind of shake the russian system enough so that he could make the kind of radical changes structurally to the war and to his defense establishment that he needed to putin you know escalated his control over the system there after that coup and and Prigozhin's not dead in the ditch He's being given a payout, and he's being, you know he's going to be allowed to quote retire in peace yep. if he's retiring at all. Because the rumors are is that he's with the Wagnerites right now in in uh, Belarus. Incredible, incredible. I, I, I don't know where where you and I both. I don't know where you stand on this. I, I'm inclined to like a lot of what Vivek Ramaswamy says on domestic policy. I get very nervous when he's asked about foreign policy questions. And from what I can tell, he seems to flub a lot of them. He was asked on a radio show this morning his plan for solving the Russia-Ukraine problem. And he says it's as simple as untwining Russia and China from each other. It's that simple, (laughs) Brent. How the heck do you do that? I mean, you know, in 2017, that would have worked. Unfortunately, the Democrats and the deep state have made it impossible for that reality to occur. And so we now are living in a world in which you're going to have um, these two powers, China and Russia, permanently, or at least semi-permanently, entwined. So anybody who thinks that they're going to be able to flip Russia away from China is wrong, because Putin has made his bet. And so you're right, Vivek, I mean, Vivek's not even a serious candidate. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care that he's tied right now. I don't even believe it. I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. It's collapsing any way you look at it. That's where I wanted to go when we came back from the break. There's so much on that now. It's creating its own narrative. And I wanted to talk to you. Can we do a little bit of domestic on the other side of this break? Absolutely. Thank you. Brandon Weikert is my guest. He is the author of several important books, uh, all more than relevant Winning Space How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He's also a senior editor at 1945.com. That's 1-9 and then spelled out 45.com. He writes an awful lot over there several times a day. You want to keep up with that. And, of course, his Twitter account, We the Brandon. Those are all things Brandon Weikert. I haven't even mentioned everything, but those are three that will keep you busy enough uh, for a while. But you can get him here almost every Monday as well, and he and I will be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. Follow him at We the Brandon W E the Brandon on uh, Twitter, which is going through this weird transformation. Brandon, I don't know if you have any thoughts about it. This we're changing the name of tweets to X's. I don't know. Yeah. I, I I don't know. Is that going to be a good idea? Who knows? It just seems a little dirty to me. It, calling it, it oh, I'm going on X. I'm it, it, become, yeah. It's weird. Posting it's, X content. X uh, content. Yeah. <laughs> Is he trying to, like, affiliate it with SpaceX, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, but I also think he... I, I'm actually wondering if he's trying to, like, tank the whole thing. Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I don't know. know. There's just something going on There's here. There's something weird going on. It, everyone knows tweeting. They don't know Xing. I don't even know how you would you spell can't, it. Yeah, like what, yeah. yeah, it's horrible. It's, it's, it's yeah, not... It's, it's hard. Like, he's been really good so far in a lot of things, but this is terrible. Yeah, it's just, thinking. it's weird. Speaking of weird and terrible... um. There are just an incredible number and slew of stories of the DeSantis campaign. They're announcing oh, they're they, they lost they lost a lot of staff. They had to let go of a lot of yeah. staff. They burnt through so much money. And there's article after article that re- going through a reset. Um, you know, it's it's an odd thing. And I know people say it's so early, and it is early. It but is, these things but get their own narrative, don't they? Well, they do. And they become and self-fulfilling. I guess that's what I want to say. Well, they do. But also, you have to remember, um, it is still early, but he is now, DeSantis, put himself in this awkward position where he has got to basically perform so brilliantly yeah. Yeah. at the debate, which yeah. nobody can do. I mean, especially, I mean, and especially if Trump doesn't show up. I mean, if Trump doesn't show up at the debate, which is what it's looking like might happen, if that doesn't happen, then DeSantis is really up a creek because he's denied a real chance to kind of differentiate and distinguish himself and his brand from Trump. And so now we're in a position where basically, uh, you know, his campaign is over. I think, um, you know, he, he, there's, it's not completely dead, but the capability he has to come back from this, um, you know, you, on the one hand, you go, well, McCain was in a bad. Sure, sure. No, no, that's right. Oh, we lost him. Can you call him back real quick? It's okay. I'll make the point. Yeah, McCain was, but McCain was also in a—he was also a different position than Ron DeSantis. People knew of McCain. They knew McCain. And I'm wondering if that was the bald eagle nibbling through the wires. Um, and, you know, it's—DeSantis it, kind of had—he had—, he had he had bad luck, I guess, and maybe bad strategy that created the bad luck. Everyone said, "Well, his campaign announcement wasn't gonna wasn't gonna matter much." And I said, "Well, it won't matter much if he now overcomes it." You think about the debate stage, um, whether Donald Trump, if Donald Trump is not there, or even if he is, regardless if Donald Trump is there or not. You've got Chris Christie on that stage, and Chris Christie is probably the most able. I don't know if you – yeah, Brandon, thanks. Welcome back. I was just saying whether Trump is on that stage or not, you've got Chris Christie up there. He qualified, and this is where Chris Christie is most agile and most able. I think he's going to take to San. I mean, I'm I'm not expecting Chris Christie to be the nominee. Don't get me wrong, but you know, if if it's all waiting for Godot and looking at DeSantis on the debate stage, he's got a hell of a struggle to distinguish himself from Chris Christie. It seems to me. Uh, look, DeSantis is done. Uh, you know, it's it's over. I don't I don't see how he pulls himself out of this. Um, it, you know, if if it's going to be the 
the Keebler elves that he's faced off against, as, as Bannon calls them, these non-Trump candidates, uh-huh. it doesn't really matter because it's just fighting for second place. He's got to have Trump on the debate stage, and he's got to get a clean shot at Trump. And he might not be able to, even if Trump is there, because all the other candidates are going to be piling on right. DeSantis to tear DeSantis down. So DeSantis blew this thing. I don't think he can ever run for president again. Um, he blew through the donor money. Um, a cartoonish amount of money just disappeared. Um, and he's barely clinging on to tied second place with a guy, Vivek Ramaswamy, who nobody really took seriously. Right. Um, so I hope I'm wrong. I hope that just because I think DeSantis on a policy level is super promising. Um, but, you know, his biggest line of attack, Seth, against Trump was, I'm a better manager. Yeah. I'm a personnel is policy, and yeah. I can pick the best and brightest. He didn't do that with his campaign. No. He hired an anti-Semite. He hired a bunch of people who are fixated on Twitter wars, which aren't real life. And this, this latest thing about the video that was made inside the campaign and made to look like it came from outside the campaign, which is blowing up all over their faces. I mean, it's not in huge national news, but it's just it's an embarrassing clown show. Well, and then the whole show. education thing in Florida with right. the slavery and all. I mean, it's embarrassing. It's a it's a it's a real clown show. Let me take a quick break and come right back. Let's talk. Yeah, I want to talk about Kamala Harris with you. You have a big column on her as well. Brandon Weikert and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert has been our guest, among other things. He is a senior editor at 1945, 1945.com where he has a, a column that was published today, as several columns a day published often, but one, Kamala Harris is no female Barack Obama. I was lighting into her earlier for what she did say about the Florida standards, Brandon, but I do have to tell you, you have to be a little bit better when you word these things, and you have to be cognizant about giving the Democrats an opening to attack you. And, I, you know, I, I don't know what becomes of Kamala Harris right now. I don't know what becomes of the Democratic Party in the presidential race. I, there's, a, there's half of me that doesn't think Joe Biden's going to be the nominee, but I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that transpires. I don't know if he succumbs to some kind of, some kind of scandal and says it's just best to move past him. I don't know if he blames it on health. But if they think Kamala Harris – do you think Kamala could beat Trump even? I'm not – I don't think she could beat Trump. That's not the plan. The plan is for Joe to be Mr. Kindly Grandfather and eke just enough of the vote to get across the finish line, and then six weeks, six months, whatever, into the second term, he resigns and hands it over to Kamala, because she can't win an election, but she is the heir apparent, and she is Obama's preferred pick and for a puppet. And let's face it, what we're living through is the third, and if Biden gets reelected, it'll be the fourth Obama term. That is exactly what this is. I have actually been working on this this story. I have part of it coming out at 1945. It might have already been released today. Um, I am convinced that in 2012, that Obama realized Trump is a threat, because remember, Trump was thinking about running against him then. And then Obama slammed him with the birth certificate, long-form release. Then two days later, he got him with the White House Correspondence Center, which he utterly humiliated. And then 48 hours after the White House Correspondence Center, the bin Laden raid happened. And so Trump knew he couldn't run then, but Trump vowed revenge. And Obama knew Trump was coming, if not for Obama's presidency, he was coming for his legacy. And that's what Trump was doing in 2016. It wasn't about Hillary Clinton. It was about revenge upon Obama. So Obama weaponized 
the entire DOJ, FBI, and intelligence community against Trump, and he coordinated from his shadow White House in Calorama. Remember, he stayed behind in Washington, D.C., Obama did, after his administration ended. First president since Wilson to do that. What was he doing? Well, he wasn't meeting with old friends. He was running a shadow government that was systematically undermining and attempting to sap the strength of the Trump presidency long enough to get the preferred candidate, the Democrat in power, Joe Biden, and that is what has happened. Joe Biden is a puppet for Obama who is still living in D.C., still coordinating things, and now Biden is getting too old and long in the tooth, but he can't be removed because there's no alternative right now of the two, Biden and Kamala Harris. But, but Obama prefers Harris. And so Obama's going to push, like weekend at Bernie's, he's going to push Biden over the finish line, and they're going to do whatever they have to do to, to make sure that Biden gets over the finish line. Then they're going to push Biden aside, and Kamala's going to step forward, and she's going to be our first female president. It seems so risky, and yet understanding how the Democrats play, it dawns on me that the odd thing is that there, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're not part of the D.C. Obama establishment or D.C. Democratic Party establishment, which is so controlled by the Obama uh, organization, that you you have this really stellar candidate out with Gavin Newsom, who's just, I mean, he would do very well on the national stage. And I'm going to guess that that's who the Obamas least want, because he is just not part of that power structure. He's not part of yeah. that power yeah. structure, and that's why he doesn't stand a snowball's chance. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Um, what's going to happen is, they're going to manipulate this thing to get through 2024. Harris will be the sock puppet for Obama in 2024 and beyond. Um, and then whether she runs for re-election or not, it won't matter because Obama will have, he thinks, secured his revolution that he began when he was first elected in 2008. And so after that, it doesn't really matter if it's Gavin Newsom or Kamala Harris because it's, it's, the Obama will have preserved his legacy. That's what this has all been about. You know, Rush Limbaugh used to talk about how Obama was building monuments to himself in the form of legislation. Uh. Well, o Obama is now building a legacy to, you know, he's building his own legacy, preserving it by basically operating as the shadow president. And that's what's going on here. And I realize that sounds conspiratorial, but if you look at everything that's happened since 2012, I don't know how anybody could not be thinking that this is something more than just a series of happy coincidences for Obama. Well, not only is it a series of happy coincidences, it's it's an Obama administration uh, in all but name in the sense that they – I mean, when I mean. you look at the playbook they're using and what they are using – and what they are doing, I mean, if you thought fundamental transformation was something to be worried about, we're watching it over the—we've been watching it's it take place since January of 2021. It's not, no, it's already happened. I mean, the fundamental trans—I mean, a majority of new voters believe socialism is the way. The Republicans have lost. Yeah. Donald Trump was the rearguard action, yeah. and he, he couldn't do it. Yeah. He got completely usurped. And so I don't— think that any Republican's going to win in 2024. Uh, I think it'll be close, but it'll be as close as the Obamaites and their friends in the IC and wherever else will want it to be close. And so what I mean by that is, I think we're in store for another Obama term in Biden, who will then step aside after winning re-election. Uh, this stuff with Hunter, uh, this Marjorie Taylor yeah, Greene display, I, yeah. all of this indicates to me the Republicans have completely lost the plot line. Yep, yep. It's not about Hunter. It's about Hunter is the connective tissue to his father's yep, finances. Exactly. And we can't find it, so it's over. Yeah. I mean, that's it.
you know, Biden's going to get away with it all because they're protecting him. Yeah, I, I liked your column on that. I thought that was important. We get so easily distracted by the sexy thing or the shiny object when we miss the main narrative that matters. Yeah. By design. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, and maybe so. Yeah, your, no, that's an interesting point. I don't mean to point. your yeah. audience, yeah. but I'm looking at this going, maybe Trump gets another Hail Mary, but the reason they call it a Hail Mary is because it's a once-in-a-lifetime right. thing. Right. He already got that in 2016. Right. And, you know, he kind of blew it, and I know nobody wants to hear it, and I really don't care. Um, <laughs> it's just, it needs it needs to be said, because we this is like desperate times now for the GOP. This is it, and we're not playing for keeps. We just aren't. It, it, it is show. And they are, and it shows. And they are, always, you know. always. All right, Brandon, brother, thank you. Thank you for getting us home on a Monday night. We yes, love sir. having you, brother. Thank you. Yes, sir. Brandon Weikert, folks. Follow him on Twitter at we the Brandon W-E, the Brandon. And his books is, of course, his most recent, Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. I'll be back with a final thought. Inflation, talk of a recession, stock market volatility, bank failures. Where do you go to invest? Why Refi has an answer because they have a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. A portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, and they're headquartered here locally. You can visit with them. They encourage you to stop by. Their offices are on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. No one's going to ask you to sign a thing, and you're not going to get a sales pitch. They leave that up to me. But when you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much. And you will too. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a ten and a quarter percent rate of return. That's right, a ten point two five percent fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at eight 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 Y Refi thirty four. Uh Brandon is perhaps a little bit more pessimistic than I am on some of the domestic policy analysis. Um, the, the one thing that you can't overlook about the Democratic Party is that this win-at-all-costs mentality, win-at-any-and-all-costs mentality, could very well figure out a way to bypass the uh, Biden and Harris, what would you call it, the Biden and Harris ticket, or ticket of Harris and someone, in favor of and choosing Gavin Newsom, who is just such a much more skilled politician and would do so much better on a national stage. I'm also not so convinced that Donald Trump couldn't win against Kamala Harris or Joe Biden. Uh, the conditions are pretty lousy. And, you know, I, it, it depends on the kind of campaign Donald Trump is going to run. The Democrats keep overplaying their hand against him with the continued indictments and the continued lawfare that they're waging against him. At the same time, Donald Trump doesn't seem to be making um, the very many mistakes, certainly less mistakes than Ron DeSantis is, if that's a comparative, if that's a, if that's a comparison worth using. And at this point, we don't have a lot more to compare. I'm just not as pessimistic about 2024. I am pretty pessimistic about DeSantis's campaign. It seems like it has a general odor to it at this point. And again, though early, these narratives kind of become self-fulfilling after a while. And the debate stage is 
it's it's kind of his last stop to reset this campaign. They've talked about resetting the campaign. It's kind of his last stop, and it's become increasingly difficult. Chris Christie won't be the nominee, but that is his venue. That is where he will do best. And if Ron DeSantis is planning to lay a knockout blow, be prepared because, meaning no uh, disrespect, Chris Christie is the real heavyweight champ at this stuff. Okay, folks, thanks for joining us today. Good to be back on with you all. Until tomorrow, for David Dahl and myself, I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed. God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.